Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. Welcome back to the show, and thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Sam Camp, and it's uh, it's great to have you here again on the podcast. Richard, it's good to be with you. It's always good to be with you, Sam. Great. And if this is your first time uh, listening to our podcast, we'll give you a, a special welcome. And uh, we've already got uh, a few podcasts in uh, in the show, and uh, we'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to those. It sort of set some of the groundwork for um, Richard's take on leadership and and what all that means. Uh, but Richard, you've, you've written a few books uh, in have. your life. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll give a prize to the person who can guess how many books Richard has, uh, has written. One in particular that, that I really like and that I think is quite unique take on life and sort of the, the framework of, of looking at your life, uh, it's called The Seasons of God. Um, and I think this can be especially applicable to your leadership uh, and your your life in general, but but for our purposes, we're going to look at uh, how that applies to leadership. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the book, The Seasons of God, and why is it that we're taking a look at this? Well, Sam, uh, I'm a fairly type A uh, task-oriented kind of person, and so I I tend to live my life and lead in straight lines. I just feel like you, every day you get up and you go from point A to point B. And I, I guess as I grew up and as I prepared for leadership, I assumed that life was just the same every day. And uh, and then I, I realized, though, that things changed. And no one really helped me understand how to deal with change, how things aren't always the same. There are days when it seems as if you can almost do no wrong, and then there's other days where it seems as if uh, everything keeps uh, coming to an end, and you don't understand um, why it's not the same as it's always been. And I discovered uh, some really helpful insights when I began to look at seasons. And so I want us just to be talking in this next podcast or two about how do you lead in seasons? How do you live in seasons? And of course, in the in the Bible... There's a key passage that, uh, that addresses this, and I want to just read it for you from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I'm going to read out of the New King James Version, uh, which uh, actually uses the word season. Some of the other later translations uh, say it a little differently, but I think you get the idea. And uh, Ecclesiastes 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, "...to everything there is a season." No, I'm going to circle back to that phrase because uh, I think what it's saying is everything in your life has a season to it. Uh, there's, a, there's a certain time for everything that is going to happen in your life. And uh, the key is to make sure you understand what season you're in at the moment. But it goes on to say, a time for every purpose under heaven. And uh, that, that idea of timing, I'd like us just to look at for a moment. Uh, it's saying that in the course of heaven's schedule, in the course of God's will for your life, there is a certain time for everything that he wants to, to accomplish through your life. And I've, I've read a lot of biographies. Sam, you can just see from uh, my library yeah. that uh, that's the largest section in my library are biographies. And 
And, you know, I've read uh, business people biographies, military biographies, political leaders, Christian leaders, missionaries. Um, and when you read about them, you realize that it, what makes some people so successful and others not as successful, well, it really doesn't have as much to do with IQ or oratorical ability, charisma, good looks, even lucky breaks, uh, not necessarily you'd say, well, that's why that guy was successful and that person wasn't. A lot of what I find when it comes to success is a great sense, sense of timing, that they did the right things at the right time. What I've learned is you can do the right thing, but do it too late. You know, it's like uh, apologizing, but doing it too late. Yeah. Now you've got a broken relationship or uh, saying a positive word at just the right moment. You could say it a year later, but uh, now the moment has passed. But wise leaders are people that say, do the right thing at the right time. And so for you to be a successful leader, you've got to get your timing right. And I also go on to say, we'll unpack this in later episodes as well, but you can also do the right thing, but do it in the wrong way. Uh, I've known, for instance, pastors that were going through a building program. They wanted to build a new education building. but And, and it was clear that that's what God wanted them to do. But they did it in the wrong way. They assumed that now I know what to do, I'll just go ahead and get it done. But uh, they went through a, a method that offended church members. It alienated uh, longtime givers. And by the time they built that building, a third of their membership had left the church. And so they could see this building now existing and saying, well, I was a successful leader. I, I got the job done. But they did it in the wrong way. They could have built that same building a different way and still had all their members uh, mm. in unity and and excited about the project. But they assumed that because they knew what to do, that now it was up to them to decide how to do it. And so successful leaders for, for me are people that do the right thing, but they also do it at the right time, and they do it the right way. If you put those three together, then you're bound to have a lot of success in what you do. And I was just listening to that and and you mentioned the right way and i wonder if if certain personalities are more easily inclined to to do things one way versus another so you you mentioned with the example of the the pastor and the the building program it sounded like that person could have been a uh, a type a person that was like we're going to get this thing built and we're going to do it in this time, and that's just, you know, this is the task ahead of us, mm-hmm. so let's just do it. Like, do you think type A people in general maybe tend to struggle with, with the uh, the timing and the, the right way of things, or am I just totally... Well, I think uh, I think they can, because for, for type A's, timing is crucial. The sooner the better is their timing <laughs> method. Usually, time is money. And so what's the fastest way to get this building built, for instance? Uh, where, whereas they might tend to miss the soft side of leadership, which is how do I take all these people with me? How do I hmm. have all my people still love each other and love me once the building is up? Uh, I, I've literally watched times where, for instance, a building was built and they had their dedication and the, the leader was all uh, excited and and uh, in his moment of glory, 
but half of his team was hardly talking to him anymore. They were looking for other jobs because they were just tired of working for such a tyrant. And you think, well, was that guy really successful? Uh, and, you know, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God says very clearly, your ways are not my ways. Uh, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And so we, we often uh, neglect that important truth. And we assume that if we know what to do, then God is delighted if we can come up with a way to do it. And our problem is we don't think the way God does. And so uh, because it makes sense to us, doesn't necessarily mean that that's God's way. In fact, my dad used to teach that if you take an approach and it seems perfectly reasonable to you, then it probably isn't from God because God's ways are not our ways. His ways are bigger than our ways. And so we tend to try to form a method that fits uh, our perspective, our strengths, what we feel comfortable with. And, uh, and so we always move to our go-to, perhaps what's worked for us in the past, uh, and we, we fail to check with God because God might have wanted us to do things in an entirely different way. Uh, God's always going to lead you to do things in a way that brings glory to him, not glory to you. We right. tend to gravitate toward an approach that will make us look good. And so that's always the great seduction. So uh, timing is important. And, and as you, let me just read down some of these, yeah. uh, these verses here. We're familiar with them. It's a famous passage. But, but verse 2 says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Um, and another way to translate that would be a time to give birth. Uh, and uh, what I've discovered is, as a leader, is that I'm always being taught and praised and encouraged to start things, uh, to, to bring things to birth. In fact, sometimes that's how we'll measure our leadership success. Well, in this last year, how many new things did you start? Right. What did you overhaul? What's new that wasn't around before? But uh, we're not taught or encouraged to bring things to an end. Yeah. Uh, how many things did you kill this year? <laughs> you know, and you have to be careful with that. What this is saying is it's not just important what you start. It's just as important what you end. Mm-hmm. And and I, and all the leadership training that I've had, I've never really been taught how to, how to know when something was at its end. In fact, I feel guilty about it. We'll, we'll talk more about that when we talk about winter. But... Uh, but here it's saying, uh, although we're all drawn towards starting things, we need it's just as uh, important as a leader to also know when to end things. It, you know, and I, and I think, too, the starting of, of something new. I know for me especially, like I love to start stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I love to, you know, that's an exciting time. And so we, I think everyone, and I, I think especially people who maybe have some natural gifting in leadership that just have sort of a bent towards rallying the troops and, and, and starting stuff, usually they, they get there because they started something, mm-hmm. right? Like there's usually that, you know, they brought the people together and they started some project or, or built something or whatever it was. So there's, there's sort of a, a, a natural bend I think for leaders to yeah to focus in on the start of yeah. stuff because and uh, that's, that's where it all begins sort of and it's a, that part's exciting and we'll talk about that in terms of spring times spring times are about beginnings yeah uh, and there are some people who love to especially entrepreneurial type people right. sometimes they love the springtime uh, it's when it gets to the heat of summer and the toil and the labor of maturing those startup ideas that. 
often separates leaders who are going to be successful or not. I know some people that are dreamers, and they love starting things. They love talking about beginnings, but they can't stick with it until there's a harvest. And so right. uh, there's a great time to start, but there's also an important time to know when it needs to end. Uh, in verse 2, it also says there's a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. And again, in each of these, there's a pairing, and one of the pairing is always more attractive than the other. I think we, we all would say, well, uh, being born is better than dying. Plucking is better than planting. You can plant all. You can plant a million seeds one day, and at the end of that day, you can't eat a solitary thing. But, well, in the ground, you still see the ground. Yeah, and it doesn't just, look any different it's just than dirt with some seeds strewn on it. But right. um, but plucking—that's that's the payday. That's the harvest. And so, but and so, what I find is, for instance, I've talked to a lot of pastors or even uh, business leaders who come to a new job, and right away. What they're looking for is the harvest. You know, how long have I been here as a pastor and we still haven't had one public decision? We haven't had one person join the church. Uh, attendance hasn't grown any yet. If we're in business, its sales aren't up yet. Uh, you know, morale doesn't seem to improve much. Um, and so wh- wherever we go, we're, we're, of course, we're naturally looking for the plucking or the harvest. But what this says is there's a, there's a time for planting. And so, for instance, I've had young pastors come to me, and they've been at their church for two months now, and it still seems to have a lot of problems, and attendance is still pretty stagnant, and they're discouraged. And they'll say, maybe I made a mistake. You know, I've been here for this amount of time, and things haven't turned around yet. And one of the things I will ask them is, well, what season are you in? If you're in a season of of planting, then you don't expect to be plucking. Just keep casting seeds, and just keep on uh, developing relationships, just keep on earning trust, just keep on getting to know the lay of the land and doing everything that you know to do to be planting seeds. And and eventually the, the, the season of planting is going to come to an end and you're going to start plucking. But I think it would it would save a lot of people some grief if they just understood which season they were in. There's no point in being frustrated when there's no harvest if you're actually in a springtime of planting. Uh, right. You don't expect a harvest when you're when you're planting seeds, and so as I walk with a lot of leaders, uh, I'll oftentimes say to them, "Well, well, what season are you in? If you're in a planting season, then then measure yourself on how many seeds did I plant today, not um, by how much did I pluck today." And so it, it goes: there's a time to kill, a time to heal. Uh, unfortunately, leaders sometimes are tempted toward the killing instead of the healing. Yeah. Uh, there's a time to break down and there's a time to build up. And, and again, that's one that's was challenging for me as a leader because I'm a, I love to build up. I love to fix things. I, I'm, a, I'm a problem solver. That's what I do. And so as a leader, uh, you, you put me into a difficult place. I'm going to immediately figure out how to make it better. But what I was not always taught was when is it appropriate to break something down? And so, for instance, when I was a young a pastor, I came to a church that had been in decline for about seven years in a row. And it, as it lost uh, members, it couldn't sustain all the programming that it used to have. And so they began to shut down programming. And they held on to some programs just uh, very feebly, and it, they were not being done very well. So as soon as I arrived, everybody wants to know, well, pastor, when are you going to get this program started again? We used to have a lot of people coming to this, or we used to have a lot of kids in this program. When are you going to start it? 
And so I felt like, uh, well, I guess that's my job is to get things back to life again. And so I began to try to develop those programs again. And some things, even for instance, uh, like the, I had, that church had an evening service. And like a lot of churches with evening services, it was much less attended than the morning service. Um, and so I thought, well, okay, uh, and especially in the summer, this was a church in Canada, uh, boy, people just were enjoying their summers. And so it was hard enough to get them there on a Sunday morning, but to get them back on a Sunday night was uh, quite a chore. So it was a, a much smaller attendance. You know, it never crossed my mind to ask God, do we even need to keep having this service? Or do we need to maybe change it to something else or uh, have it more sporadically? Uh, my thought was, well, we've always had an evening service, so let me just pour myself into this and try to make it as attractive as possible. So we'll have ice cream fellowships afterward. We'll go out and have it outside in the hmm. cool of the evening. We'll have a special speakers. And I did everything I could to build it up. And I was, some, I was fairly successful in that time. We certainly attracted a lot more people. But looking back as a leader, I should have at least asked the question, does this even need to be built up? I, I just assume that that's what leaders do. They build everything up. Whatever is languishing, uh, you just make it better. But maybe it's languishing because it's time to tear it down. And so uh, you don't have to feel guilty. Now, don't tear down everything. Uh, part of what leaders do is they solve problems, and, and sometimes this is a viable program. You just need to go to God and ask him how he wants to change it. But you also need to know, what time is this? Is this a time for building up, or is it a time for tearing down? And uh, if, you're, if it's a time for tearing down, then you're going to waste a whole lot of time and energy and money building something up that God wants you to tear down. And so it helps me to see that both of these pairings are appropriate for a leader. Uh, you just need to ask God, in this case, with this situation, what is it that I should be doing? It says there's a time to weep, and there's a time to laugh. Again, I'm a, the kind of leader that I wanted everybody to be laughing. And so it was all about let's pe keep people happy, let's keep people upbeat. But, um, but this says there's a time to weep, and I think that that's okay. As leaders, sometimes we get worried if people are, are weeping. I know even in, in churches sometimes, if uh, I've had moments where uh, I was speaking and, uh, and the spirit of conviction came over someone, and they were, they were distraught. They were weeping. They are broken about uh, what God was convicting them of. And, of course, well-meaning people immediately want to come around people who are weeping and comfort them, help them to stop weeping. It's, we, hey, you're, you're, you look sad. Let me, let me help cheer you up. You right, know? right. Uh, it's not so bad. We're, we all struggle with that. You know, you're not the only one who's messed up like that. Uh, but what God convicted me of is if the Spirit of God is making someone uncomfortable, then what am I trying to do comforting them? Why am I trying to stop them from weeping if the Spirit of God is the one who got them started to weep? Uh, maybe it's the best thing that could happen is for this person to be broken over how they've been acting. Uh, maybe the situation is really uh, bad, and we need to just uh, be remorseful and broken over how we let things get to this point. Uh, there's a time where it's appropriate to weep. It's appropriate to be sad about what's happened. Now, you don't want to stay there. Uh, God's going to help you as a leader to move people beyond that. But sometimes if you haven't wept yet, you, you can't really experience true joy if you haven't gone through a period of brokenness first. 
And so again, as a leader, we're always drawn toward one of these things, not so much to the other. But to be a healthy leader, you need to be just as skilled at helping people go through seasons of weeping as you are to go through seasons of joy and laughter. I tend to always be drawn toward the laughter. Uh, even when I'm speaking, I want to, you know, I, I want to tell jokes. I want to be funny. It's a lot harder to say, okay, well, but right now where people are at, what's been going on in the world this week, what people just experienced in this church, really they need to be guided to properly weep and to be broken about this. And as a leader, you may be stretched um, a bit more in that area because, again, I don't know that we get that much help in knowing how to lead people through weeping. Uh, we, yeah. We're told with public speaking courses how to get people to laugh. Um, but perhaps some of the, the greatest leadership you may do is taking people through a period of weeping as well. Well, I'm going to take a, a quick break right here, and then we're going to wrap this up in just a couple of minutes. During this series, we want to offer our listeners an extra 10% off Richard's popular book, The Seasons of God, which can help you identify the changing seasons in your life. Go to blackbeestore.org and use coupon code SEASONS at checkout for an extra 10% off your copy of The Seasons of God. Well, Richard, you uh, talked about weeping uh, <laughs> just before the break, and so uh, maybe we can move on from the the tearful. Have you had we... enough weeping yeah. <laughs> discussion here, Sam? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it says uh, there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. Uh, verse 5 says a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. And I, I tell you, that's another key leadership issue right there. Um, we like embracing. I, I think embracing means basically joining with other people, uh, whether that's hiring someone, uh, having someone as your partner. Uh, we love to add to the team. We love to hire. I know that as a leader, whenever I had a vacancy that I needed to hire someone for, I, I, didn't, I didn't like leaving vacancies. I like my team to be all intact. And, uh, and so I, I was very task-oriented in terms of, okay, let, let me get this position filled. And so I, I, I tell you, in fact, some of the, perhaps some of the bigger leadership mistakes I made was in hiring. And, of course, as a leader, the team that you build is crucial. And so you need to know, is this a time to embrace someone or a time not to embrace them? And uh, perhaps one of the mistakes I made was that I would I tended to do uh, I guess uh, to take a secular approach, and that I would try to hire the best person available. So if we've been advertising for a position for a month, now it's time to hire. I would uh, sort through the resumes, the applications. I'd maybe pick the top three candidates uh, from the pile, the the best experience and references and training. Uh, I might interview them, and then I would. And looking at these three, I would say, well, which one's the best? Uh, and I'd pray about that, but I would, I would ultimately hire the best person available. The problem is, I had twofold. One is, I learned later that it sounds good to hire the best available, but the problem is that the best person might not yet be available. All you're mm. doing is hiring the best person on the table. You're, you're only hiring the best resume currently in your file. But the best person may not have yet applied for the job. And if there's one lesson I learned as a leader, 
it's better to leave a position vacant than to hire the wrong person. And I, I had at times to resist and to, to really learn from this verse, there's a time not to embrace. Even though you really want to fill that position, if you're just not comfortable, then it's better not to embrace that person yet. Let's hold on. Um, I also found that uh, my wife, who has never formally led anything probably in her life, she's an informal leader in a lot of ways, but um, she's never been the CEO of anything, never been the president of anything. And yet oftentimes when I would meet with the candidate I was considering hiring, she would at times, uh, she's a, a feeler, and she at times would just not feel right about somebody. I'll just confess to you, there were two or three times over the course of my leadership career where my wife would say, I'm just not comfortable about that person. I'm not sure you ought to hire that person. And at the time, it always seemed a little peculiar to me because I've been a leader for years. I've hired all kinds of people, and she hasn't. So I'm the expert, not her. But I will also tell you that every time she ever said that and I ignored her advice, she was proven to be right. Hmm. And so I had to learn, sometimes when it comes to embracing uh, a partner, embracing uh, hiring someone, filling a, a, a position that needs filling, uh, get some people around you that perhaps see from a different perspective than you do. Uh, I needed a feeler with me to get some vibes that I wasn't picking up on. Yeah. And, uh, and so that really helped me a lot. Uh, and then just maybe one other one to say, uh, it says there's a time to gain, a time to lose time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to sow. And then it says a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And again, I'll tell you something. If, if a leader wants uh, to become much more skilled in leadership, he, they, uh, they need to understand this principle. Just because you're thinking it doesn't mean you need to say it. Sometimes the most mm. powerful thing you can say is to remain silent. There are some people that are quite verbal and they, they feel a need to express everything. But... Uh, I've not had nearly as many regrets for remaining silent as I have for speaking when I really need to think more about what I was saying. Uh, this also applies sometimes to sangry, sending uh, angry emails <laughs> or texts. <Yeah. laughs> uh, you know, when you're upset and you decide to fire off uh, an email to let people know what you think, most of the time it's better to just remain silent a little bit longer until you can rationally... Uh, thoughtfully consider what it is you really want to say, and would this really be help your cause to vent with this person, or would it be better just to let that go, or to just uh, maybe uh, step back a little bit from what you're saying in anger and, and tone it down a bit before you send that message? Uh, I've known some people that uh, if you're sensitive, I think that's where being a spiritual leader will make a difference, where the Spirit of God can actually convict you to say, whoa, don't, don't hit send there. Don't uh, send that message. Don't call. Don't go barging down the hallway and burst into their office and vent with them right now when you're upset. Um, just take some time to think it through. Wait till tomorrow before you have that meeting. Uh, again, I think Ecclesiastes has some great wisdom in helping you know how to be an effective leader. And sometimes, just because you think it, sometimes just because you do need to have a conversation at some point doesn't mean you need to do it right now. Uh, yeah. Better to remain silent. And uh, then it just it, it concludes and says in verse 8, there's a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, a time of peace. And it, and it goes on to say, what profit has a worker from what 
uh, from that in which he labors. I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. And finally, in verse 11, he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And so if you kind of come full circle with that, where the writer of Ecclesiastes says, uh, everything in your life can be beautiful if you do it at the right time. If you do it too early or too late, it may not be beautiful. But if you wait and trust on the timing of God, uh, then you can say, wow, even this difficult experience actually had some beauty to it. Uh, but I did it in God's time. And that's why for me, every time I read in the Bible a phrase, wait on the Lord, uh, I have to highlight it because I'm not great at waiting. I, I want to get things done. Yeah. Uh, and I think some of the, the most beautiful moments in your life will come when you waited patiently on the Lord to show you the perfect timing. And so if you want to be a successful leader, you've got to get your timing right. And of course, the Spirit of God knows the perfect time. He knows the future. And so if you'll trust him with that, sure enough, at just the right time, the Spirit of God will show you what to do. And if you follow his lead, it's going to be beautiful what he does uh, in that moment. Well, this is exciting, and I'm looking forward to diving into the seasons in the coming episodes, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackbee.org.